Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 83rd episode, I'll be talking to Emily Buza, co-host of Whelmed, a Young Justice Files podcast, about fanfic and, you guessed it, Young Justice. Along the way, we discuss exactly how much of theater is turning up and knowing your lines, the dearth of lead roles in musicals for alto twos, and how to create a fictional universe seemingly purpose-built for fan fiction. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on the map of you. We join this conversation already in progress. For those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? Well, I'm Emily. I'm Emily Buza. On the internet, I'm probably most well-known for co-hosting Whelmed the Young Justice Files with Rich Howard, where we talk about Young Justice, the DC Comics teenage superhero cartoon network show that ran for two seasons a while back. We're getting a third season. We're very excited. And we've reviewed both seasons of the show. We've reviewed all of the tie-in comics by this point. We just finished recording those. I don't know if all of them have aired yet. We review the show. We talk about not only what we love about it as fans, but also what we can learn from it as creators, because we're just a bunch of nerds who like making stuff and being inspired by stuff. Yeah. And I've been listening to Whelmed for quite a long time I think nearly back to the beginning I, think I jumped on episode five or six and I really really enjoyed it, it wasn't just like an episode by episode recap yeah. podcast that both Rich and the previous host and you all go into it on a really deep dive level yes Rich usually from like an RPG standpoint and yourself from a shipping and fanfic standpoint <laughs> and there's always a lot more depth than you would get from just, hey, we're going to watch this show and talk about what happens in every scene. It yeah. does help that Young Justice is an incredibly dense and layered show. Absolutely. And has so much depth to it that it warrants that kind of deep scrutiny. So when you're approaching the show, y'all have a pretty distinct way of separating it where you've got your plot stuff, you've got your overarching kind of, this is how it ties into continuity, this is yes. how it ties into, you know, what happened in the comics, and then you each have your own kind of corner with that. So how do you negotiate balancing the two different ways you approach the show and kind of what, what stays in and what's relevant? And I suppose it's a really big question, but kind of, yeah, what, what's yeah. your approach to doing Whelmed overall? So basically, just behind the scenes look, we have outlines for every episode, which helps immensely that we stay organized and it's not quite a script, but it helps make sure that we actually know what we're saying going into everything. We don't just sit down and start ranting about whatever episode or comic we're talking about. But basically, we write out just a basic plot synopsis for the episode, whichever one of us decides to tackle which episode, because we hand them off depending on who's free. And then we would just write notes, basically. We'd watch the episode and each of or read the comic because we just finished those. And just each of us would take down notes of like what stood out to us and what mattered to us about this episode, whether or not it was like, I love this scene or I love this character arc or this moment or this interesting concept that they're introducing here. 
And then for me, at least, I know that my notes are always just a very stream of consciousness thing in a Word doc. And then I go back and go, okay, what of this matters? Because some of it will just be like, this is a funny joke. And I'm like, I don't need to talk about that on the podcast, but I wanted to point it out in my notes. So then I go back and just pick what really matters. Yeah, cool. Part of the reason I ask is because I mentioned this when we were discussing this episode because of some of the topics that's going to come up. I did a couple of episode by episode recap podcasts myself, both of which crashed after about five episodes (laughs) because I'm a very intense note taker and like everything is handwritten. And (laughs) I think I was taking three hours to recap a 22 minute episode of something (laughs) because I was watching it so closely and writing everything down and and reviewing it so densely. And combine that with my girlfriend being the other person on the show and having to watch it separately so that we didn't, you know, taint each other's ideas, then get together and record. I just found the the workload line of immense. And that was on a fairly linear couple of shows. Yeah. In that it was Avatar The Last Airbender and Keeping Up with the Kardashians. <laughs> so not a lot of continuity in the second one. No. <laughs> Surprisingly, lots of research, though, especially because we were starting at the beginning. But I can imagine with something like Young Justice, it would kind of lend itself to that kind of structured approach the way you've been doing it. And also part of it was both of us, both me and Rich, my co-host, who's fantastic, have very different approaches to the show on a lot of levels, just because we're such different people, but both super enthusiastic about the show. But like he'll bring comic book history and his experience with RPGs and all of that. And then I'll show up and be like, Young Justice was my first introduction to superheroes, so I don't know any of that history, but let me tell you why this moment is super important for these two characters' relationship and things like that. And so we're able to play off each other, and it really helps, and the notes help. And when we were doing the actual show, one of the things, one of our segments in that was we'd have a spoiler-specific section for, like, foreshadowing. So knowing that that was, like, something we would talk about separately makes you, like, way more aware of, like, what things you need to write down as important from an episode because when you're just tossing it all together that can get really complicated and remembering what's important and what's not but when you separate it out into sections the way our show is for anyone who listens to it that helps a lot in figuring out like what is happening in this show that I actually need to tell people and what is just fun background things that I enjoy but don't necessarily need to tell the internet about in our podcast. Yeah, there's a special joy around when uh, y'all get to the spoiler section and be like, I've been talking fairly normally and then get to the spoiler section and you have the little sounder that leads you in. And then the first thing is one of you going, oh my God, this episode. (laughs) Yes, we do that a lot. We do that a lot. We are always very excited and we always have to refrain ourselves in our main, our aster our things we love section from being like, and then this spoiler happens because we've had a couple of times where one of us will say something and then the other one will go, um, that's a spoiler and we cut it out and it ends up on the blooper reel of us. Usually replaced by a cut in of, we're going to save that for crashing the mode. (laughs) Yes. It generally immediately cuts (laughs) to the other one being like, so we'll talk about something later in crashing the mode that we just brought up because we forgot our own our own structure for a second. <laughs> yeah, so talking about the show as a whole, I mean, like I mentioned before, it's not just episode recaps. You've yes. also had a lot of the creative team of Young Justice come on and, yes. and guests and voice actors and writers and stuff come on. So how, like, okay, <laughs> saying this as a podcaster who has had some guests on here that I would not imagine it would ever come on and be on my podcast, uh, what's the process for just being like, hey, famous people, you could just like, come and talk about the show you did right (laughs) so that i honestly don't know much about uh, because rich 
is generally the one who handles a lot of our discussion sessions and has handled all of the interviews with cast members and or creative team members from the show. So I don't I don't know how that conversation happened because it intimidates me too. Anytime that Rich is like, so we're going to be talking to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, we're, we're going to be doing what now? Excuse me? Because <laughs> I, I remember I, I got like a message from him right after I'd joined the team because I wasn't part of season one. And it was in between season one and season two. And he sent me like a Twitter message that was like, hi, by the way, I'm going to be interviewing Crispin Freeman, who voices Red Arrow in a couple weeks. Do you have any questions for him? And I like read this and like just blacked out for a second. <laughs> like I was like, you're going to be doing what now? What's happening? <laughs> So those are surreal experiences for me, too. So I don't quite know how that works either. I apologize. It's funny because I was previously speaking to Juliet Kahn, where she, she talked about Teen Titans and how much she loved the yes. Teen Titans cartoon. And at one point, getting to interview some of the voice acting cast yeah. and not keeping her cool <laughs> at all. No. I think it's weird because I've met, like, just through various things I've done, I've met, like, some actors that I quite admire, and I've met some writers that I admire. I think a voice actor would actually throw me more because you'd just be like, oh, I'm talking to a person whose work I admire, and then they could occasionally bust out a voice of a character I really deeply care about. Then I would just kind of fall apart. (laughs) At one point, the Thrilling Adventure Hour came to Sydney. My friend Ginger and I went, and luckily, because I was actually tapped to shoot the second show, the in the crowd, the photographer, and so I got to go as a fan for the first night, and I'm a huge fan of everyone involved in that, and Janet Varney was there, and Janet Varney is the voice of Cora. Yeah, I've met her. I've met her too. A, the nicest person on the planet. Yes. <laughs> and B, was totally cool with the fact that she like piped up and I heard a version of the Cora voice in her voice and I would just kind of went, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I was at a con once where she was there and during her panel that I went to someone was like can you say something in the Cora voice that Cora would never say and she just like paused for a second and was like the Cora voice is mainly my actual voice so I just spend my whole day saying things Cora would never say <laughs> it's like that Billy West thing where he's like Fry is 25 year old me and I'm okay with that oh uh, yeah also, Janet Varney, if you do want to come on the show, I'm sure I would be much better over a Skype connection as opposed to having just seen an amazing live Thrilling Adventure Hour show and then trying to keep my shit together as I like navigate a line full of people I really admire, like Mark Evan Jackson and Mark Agliarly and Hal Lublin and all those people, and then getting to you and going, hey, hi. <laughs> yeah, no, I met her at that same con that I saw her panel at, and she signed my super old original Legend of Korra poster that was back when like the title was still the last airbender Legend of Korra that I'd had for years nice. and she signed it and I gave was that the, is it the one where it's like the silhouette kind of standing on the cliff and looking over the city no it was one uh so it was like a little bit later than that it was like the second piece of art they'd released I guess uh mm-hmm. that was Cora Bolin and Mako in like fighting stances against like shadows of equalists in the front it was super cool she signed it and I gave her a paper crane because I do origami for fun and I'd folded it and it was in like the water tribe colors and it was this whole thing and i gave it to her before i could even say like i picked it because it's the water tribe colors. she looked at it and was like oh water tribe i get it and it made me so happy (laughs) i was like Uh, she understood i didn't even have to explain (laughs) it was it was so much fun there's always a line to ride between like 
I want to show this person I really appreciate what they do. I want to show this person it means a lot to me, but I never want to be a stressful fan. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, there's a local pro wrestling scene, which is extremely good, called PWA. And me and a few of my friends go, and we become those people who go and are in the front row and are loud and enthusiastic. And we always chat with all the wrestlers afterwards, and everyone's really nice. And there's one of them, and I'm not going to say who, but they actually work nearby my office. And I've spotted them a few times, and I'm just like, I'm not going to be the jerk who comes up to you at your day job and is like, hey, you're this person. I think you're great because, like, you know, you're not in your wrestling outfit. You're not doing your thing. You're, just, you're a person right now. Yeah. And let's say someone was a big fan of the podcast and they spotted me outside my work. I hope I would be, like, nice and, and generous and be like, thanks. I really appreciate that. But I'm pretty sure I would just kind of, like, pull my headphones off and go, what? Who? What? Hi. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it can be a weird experience. I've never technically had that experience, but because I do theater on my campus every now and then, there'll be somebody mm -hmm. who like didn't come up to you right after the show, after bows and everything, but will like see you several weeks later. And if the conversation makes any sense, they will occasionally just be like, you were really good in that play. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> this is awkward, but thank you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was sitting with some of my castmates after a show and it was like the day or two after our final performance and we were just sitting having lunch and someone that none of us knew just randomly came up to us as we were eating lunch and was just like, all of you were great in that play the other day. And we're like, thanks. <laughs> we're just trying to eat food, but thanks. <laughs> I think we get to a certain point where you can go, yes, <laughs> yes, we were. <laughs> It's also awkward because occasionally you'll like overhear people talking about a show you were in. I've had that. And I was like, do I say anything? Do I not say anything? And I was like, I know one person in this conversation. I'll be like, hi, I was in that show you're talking about. Thanks for saying nice things. I'll leave you alone now. Oh, Bye. <laughs> I was just about to say, it depends on whether the things they were saying is nice. Otherwise, you turn up and it's like, hi, I was in that play you said. So the fuck you just said? <laughs> Just be like, I will fight you. <laughs> Emily Booz is starting shit on campus. No, never. <laughs> All right, then. Well, let's start with the basics. Whereabouts did you grow up? I grew up in a relatively small town in Connecticut, the suburbs. Not super rural, even though there are kind of rural places in Connecticut. Not in any of the big cities, just kind of suburbs. It was fine. It's fine. It's a fine town. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I know it's like weird to say that, but like, it's fine. I had a, I had a fine time there. <laughs> it's funny because I've been talking to a few people from like the East Coast of the US and I yeah. realized a lot of that I have no real context for <laughs> apart from I know what Greenwich is because there are like wrestlers who pretend to be blue bloods who come from there because <laughs> it's apparently rich people. <laughs> I know it's a space on Monopoly, but that's about it. <laughs> No, that's about what happens. Even people who live on the East Coast, because I also go to school on the East Coast, and people will be like, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from Connecticut. And they'll be like, where? And I'll tell them. And then people will be like, I have no idea where that is. I'm like, don't worry, no one does. <laughs> I'm like, we're not any of like the three big cities we have. So no, you don't know where I live. <laughs> uh, but it's it's like, What's in Connecticut? We have the Mark Twain house. We have a couple of aquariums. <laughs> and that always feels like that's it. <laughs> like, <laughs> what else do we have? Nothing. <laughs> you have some signs where people stand next to them saying you are now leaving Connecticut. And they're usually <laughs> doing a thumbs up next to a car that they're about to get back into. No. 
I consistently joke that only people who live in Connecticut are allowed to say they hate Connecticut. <laughs> I tell people that because every now and then I'll have people who are like from New York or from Massachusetts who are like, oh, yeah, Connecticut's the worst. And I'm like, you don't get to say that. Only I get to say that. <laughs> like, you don't get to hate my home state. Only I get to hate my home state. And I don't even hate it most of the time. Yeah. And it's like there's a particular kind of ownership that comes with that dislike where you're just like, no, I hate it for valid reasons. Because you're not from there, your reasons would probably not be valid. <laughs> basically, basically. I feel like most people's only reference for, like, small-town Connecticut is Gilmore Girls. And even that is, like, super small-town. Oh, is that set in Connecticut? Oh, they... Yes. Oh, but clearly go. filmed not in Connecticut, because we love it. Me and my mom love it, but we will watch it and be like, that's not how we refer to that highway. That's not what snow looks like here. What are you doing? Mm. Yeah, it's like it needs those regional touches, you know? Yeah. One in particular was on Parks and Rec, where Anne was initially from, referring to a grocery store with an apostrophe S, even if it didn't have it. <laughs> so as opposed to going to Kroger, she's like, oh, I went to Kroger's. <laughs> Having that points out to me, and I'm like, oh, is that, I, that completely went over my head because I, I don't know the grocery store, and B, I don't get the reference because I'm not from there. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's like pronunciation of things. Like whenever Lost is set in Sydney, and they'll just be like, Oh, someone will refer to like, oh, a shrimp shack. And I'm like, no, no, it's it's prawns, guys. I promise. Like just tiny bit of research. Or they'll have that like when, yes, yeah, Sawyer will go and meet a contact at a shrimp shack. And it's this like, you know, corrugated iron food stand. And it's across the water from the opera house. And I'm like, no, guys, that's Elizabeth Bay. That is some of the priciest real estate in the city. It's full of raked back houses that have one wall, all windows that are owned by rich people. I'm pretty sure they are not stopping by a corrugated iron shack to buy shrimp, <laughs> which they would call prawns anyway, you idiots. <laughs> it's the little things. But I get ahead of myself. It's the little things. Yeah. <laughs> so growing up in this small town that was not Stars Hollow, although I do appreciate the synergy of a mother and daughter in Connecticut watching a TV show about a mother and daughter in Connecticut. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, although I assume you talked slower than that. Although you never know. Sometimes. It depends. <laughs> we are a very fast-talking family. That's even more synergistic, so there you go. So, growing up in Connecticut, what sort of kid were you? <laughs> I was... I was. A... I feel like the fact that you laughed at that question is like a good omen for this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's just always such a weird question. I was like, what kind of kid am I? <laughs> I was a good kid like I was a straight-A student I followed rules I was good but I was a loud kid I was a very theatrical kid I was a very dramatic kid which has not gone away because yeah you talked about doing theater at university yes. so were you one of those kids that were doing it from a young age yes I was doing theater in some sort of structured way since kindergarten and I was probably doing something equivalent to theater before that because I was a kid who played make-believe. I was a kid who liked to play pretend and tell stories and grew up with all of that. But I was in the school drama club from kindergarten <laughs> through eighth grade at the same school because I went to a tiny red brick Catholic schoolhouse my entire childhood in one school. And I went from junior drama club to normal drama club through all of that and then did theater in high school. That was a good outlet when you are a kid who just wants to talk so much. <laughs> like I'd be good and I'd be quiet in class, but like I was a talkative kid. I was a kid with a lot of words and a big vocabulary. 
And I loved theater through all of high school to the point where I'm a theater major now because that's what I do. That's what I do in at university. So back in those early days, do you remember like what plays were you doing, or were they mostly like, oh, this teacher has written a thing for us to learn a lesson about this thing, or to celebrate this holiday? If this is our Thanksgiving pageant kind of thing. A little bit of both because junior drama club at my little Catholic schoolhouse was our director who did both junior and normal drama club would put together a collection of like Broadway songs and none of us knew what any of the Broadway songs were, but he did. <laughs> and he would write basically parodies of them that were that were like about our school. And like about oh, no. our, but not like mean parodies. They'd be like nice things about like, we're going to lunch, but it would be the tune to the one that I'm remembering like really clearly was we did Loathing from Wicked. Oh, wow. But it was about getting homework for the first time. <laughs> and I probably still have like the CDs he made for us to learn lyrics buried somewhere in my closet. But like that was Junior Drama Club. <laughs> And like looking back, it's kind of impressive, like how much work went into like a probably less than 10 minute performance in which each of us only had like one line and we stood just in a row on stage and we performed just before the real drama club did their actual production. We were the opening act. (laughs) Singing about homework. (laughs) Yes. Then real drama club in elementary through middle school. I'm trying to remember if I can remember all of them in order. We did Annie was my first show and I was just a completely unnamed orphan. Then we did Susical. These were all the junior versions of all of these shows because these are like big shows and we did like the very pared down version of them. I was in, gosh, why can't I remember now? Now it's just going to be out of order. I know those were the first two. And then I was also in a show that was about Jack and the Beanstalk that we did as a puppet show. We did like a little Broadway review that was just a bunch of completely unconnected Broadway songs. We did Schoolhouse Rock Jr., which I now still know all of the words to the Schoolhouse Rock songs. (laughs) Like they come up every now and then and it'll be like somebody like a teacher or somebody in high school would joke about it and be like, do you guys know this song? Probably not. And I'd be the one person in class who's like, yes, I know all the words and they will never leave me. I know the function of the conjunction. and I'll ask you not to repeat. (laughs) Yeah. My eighth grade show was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. We had a different director that year for the first time because there was crazy stuff happening at our school and it was kind of a disaster. But I was Veruca Salt and people thought I was good because I actually memorized all my lines because some people didn't. That was the year that it was so disorganized that the person playing Willy Wonka went on stage with her script in her hand. Oh, man. I was going to say, I want to know the school kid who decided that, you know what, I'm going into business for myself on this Charlie and the Chocolate Factory thing. I don't need your rules, man. <laughs> going the full Edward Norton and like being halfway through a line going, are we really saying this? Is that really true? I mean, think about it. Would I ever say that? I wouldn't say that. I would say it like this. Say it again. No, there's no rhythm to that. I'm trying to get... Look, let's just take it from the top. Okay, go. Oh, God, no. Not not quite that, but just kind of a... We had a very short amount of time to get that show together and very, very condensed rehearsals and someone who had never done a show with our group of people before... And we had a bunch of people who had never done a show at our middle school before who all kind of came together. I'm sounding so pretentious. Like I was like a 14 year old who was like, I know what I'm doing in the theater. But like I showed up and I learned my lines and I learned my song and I had If I remember correctly, I did one rehearsal on stage with the set that I had to sing my song with as Veruca Salt. Only one rehearsal and people like several people came up to me after the show and were like, you were the best part of the show. You knew your lines. I was like, thanks. (laughs) 
I'll take it. <laughs> hey, I think if I asked one M. Craig Getting who is a theater director who has been on the show before, I think turning up and knowing your lines is a good 70% yep. of theater. Yep. As someone who's been doing theater most of my life, yes, that is, that's most of it. Everything else comes after. And it's funny you were talking about the parodies because I'm like, wow, that would never happen. And I went flashing back to my grade four school song, which was new lyrics about loving Dorset Elementary School set to Suicide is Painless from MASH. And they made us learn it like on a whim. Because, like, you know, lots of schools will have an old school song that everyone has to learn and it's always terrible. Yeah. But then this was clearly a new thing that they decided to do. And like, we need a school song. Who can write one? And then it's like, that's an incredibly inappropriate tune to put a school song to. Yeah. And you mentioned Annie. And I was like, wait, I was a random urchin in We'd Like to Thank You, Herbert Hoover. I was maybe 10, and it was because my mom was helping out with the community theater thing in Massey, Ontario, which, again, not a big audience because the town's got 1,100 people in it. And so, yeah, I basically just got to hang around and would, like, you know, steal cans of Pepsi from the, the snack bar and wait for my time to rehearse the song. <laughs> and I would just sing along with everyone. And my big line was not only did we pay attention, we paid through the nose. And I could hit that line because I was 10. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that was my theater experience until high school. Yes. <laughs> and then I, I, I was about to say I did high school all through theater. That makes sense. Which is a telling statement. <laughs> I did. I did theater all through high school as well and did a lot with that. And my reputation from middle school of only ever being in the ensemble for musicals continued because I'm an alto too. <laughs> And nobody writes leads for alto twos in musicals at all, ever. You look at any musical, the lead female character is almost always going to be a soprano. <laughs> and it just, that's how it goes. But the high school meant that fall plays became a thing. Theater without music for the first time oh my ever. God. And is this a revolutionary concept? Kind of. <laughs> kind of. When you go through middle school and all you have ever done on stage is musicals, that was incredible and in being able to do that because that was something I could do and it didn't matter that I had a low voice most of the time. There was probably always a role that I could figure out, which was how I... is Most of the theater that I do in college now is all straight plays because that's what I'm able to excel at and I can go in and be like I can get a bigger role here than I would ever be able to do if I auditioned for the musical because in high school my senior year of high school I did Shakespeare and I was the lead in a Shakespearean romantic comedy and I'm like if this was a musical no one would ever let me play a romantic lead because romantic leads are sopranos <laughs> and I am not but in Shakespeare I show up and I know the words and I can say the words in a way that makes people understand the words. And that's all you need me to do. I was gonna, that's another hugely key thing. I think a lot of people leave out of their preparation. <laughs> yes, you have to understand the words. And with Shakespeare, that's real important, <laughs> especially in a comedy. Because when you do a Shakespearean comedy and nobody laughs, you're doing it wrong. But we were a good cast for that. And we had people laughing, even though if you showed people the words, they'd be like, I have no idea what it means. And you'd be on stage and like, oh, I get it. She's insulting somebody. That's funny. <laughs> oh, that guy's a piece of shit. I get it. We did As You Like It, which is because of that experience, my favorite Shakespearean play. It's incredible. But I was playing Rosalind, who is the lead in that and i had one thing that was a two-page monologue that was just me insulting another person on stage and before we'd go on stage every single night i would like look at her because we'd both be backstage right before walking on and i'd just look at her and be like i'm sorry i'm sorry that the next five minutes are just going to be me yelling at you <laughs> it's like hey 
hold on, honey, the next five minutes are going to be rough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But it was so much fun. I kind of love that. That was what we did. That was just what theater is. And theater is best when everybody's chill enough that you can get on stage and insult somebody and then immediately come backstage and be like, you're my friend. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to try and phrase this delicately as this segue may not ever have been attempted in the history of mankind. Okay. So talking about theater and doing drama and musicals and stuff. Yes. I want to know when fan fiction actually came into the picture. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I'll pull myself back together. I apologize. (laughs) No, it's fine. You're good. Oh, it's just, oh, it's hilarious to me. This comes up on Young Justice every now and then. On Young Justice. Unwhelmed. (laughs) We are not the cartoon. (laughs) Just because that was my first appearance on Whelmed, talking about fan fiction and explaining how fan fiction is (laughs) to my wonderful co-host. But fan fiction entered my life way before high school theater. So now I'm trying to think back, like, to what the real starting point was. Mm -hmm. Because I first started writing and publishing fan fiction because of Young Justice around when I was like 13, 14. But I feel like I'd probably been reading fan fiction for like a few years before that. I don't quite know. My first like introduction to understanding like what internet fandom was, was Avatar The Last Airbender actually, when I was like, I don't know, like it was during the final season and it was during the final week of episodes where they had a whole big event that was like Sozin's Comet week. That was that summer they were going to show the final final episodes it was the premiere of those they were all right back to back a few nights in a row it was an event it was like the Mm -hmm. coolest thing this had never happened before yeah there were special bumpers on other cartoons to let you know that it was coming it was a big deal it was it was so cool like i'm like just remembering it right now i'm like this was the coolest thing and remains one of like the coolest television events of my life and i was like 10 around that time I think I'm a youngin (laughs) like that was my first time that I was like looking up like trying to because Avatar was not a show that I followed religiously as a kid like I know some people followed Avatar religiously but it was always the show that was like the cool show on Nickelodeon that like I didn't watch every week I didn't know when it was on half the time because This was the time before you could really figure that out very easily. But when that Sozin's Comet week happened, I remember like I was looking online and I was trying to understand like what I had missed in the series and get hyped up for episodes and like started stumbling across like what shipping was and people making AMVs (laughs) online. And I think fan fiction probably showed up somewhere in there at some point. But like Young Justice was what really started the like, this is a thing that is part of my life and a thing that I contribute to and some people think I'm decent at in my 13 year old writings. (laughs) (laughs) So I suppose this is a personal question, but when you wrote your first fanfic, were you like were you writing a scene in between things were you adding an oc like i i don't know you were a theatrical kid maybe you came fully stocked with your own set of characters to insert into this thing so was it an avatar one or did you did it only start with young justice it was young justice and i won't tell mm-hmm. anyone what the name of it is because no one's allowed <laughs> oh, no. to go find it and connect it to me the method of you is a circle of trust <laughs> no you don't go and actually look up the thing but we can happily talk about and explore the thing <laughs> yes just because i'm like i don't want anyone finding that and being able to connect it back to me <laughs> uh, <laughs> but 
I will, I will be both specific enough and vague enough that we can talk about this. I think the first one I ever wrote and published back when fanfiction.net was the place to be was about Robin and Zatanna. And it was between episodes. And I think I was one of many people who was writing about the concept of like after her dad turned into Dr. Fate of like her and Robin having a conversation about like loss and like trying to explain I'm like wow that was like real deep for a 13 year old but it was just like these two are cute and I want them to talk more so they're gonna talk about this because it's important because everyone in this universe has dead people yes (laughs) very much so Uh, much like you or I might talk about the weather or the difficulties of recording over Google Hangouts they can talk about how their parents are dead or turned evil or taken over by an ancient sorcerer <laughs> through a helmet. Yes, but yeah, I, I wrote that. I wrote, I never wrote an OC, which is always kind of like weird to think back on the fact that like everyone I talk to when they're like, oh yeah, when I was 12 and writing fan fiction, I had all of these OCs and I'm like, I never did that. <laughs> I just never, <laughs> I never wanted to do that. I was like, never like, I want to be part of this world. I was always like, I just want to write about these people being cute with each other because they're real cute, but they could be even cuter if they talked more. <laughs> if the show gave them more time to be cute and I have all the time in the world. Basically, basically, that was what I did. It was a lot of just, I was never somebody who was like, I'm going to sit down and write a 30 chapter, 50,000 word AU of these characters I was always just like they're gonna sit down and have a conversation and it's gonna be really fluffy and adorable or it's gonna be a lot of hurt comfort because that's always fun of just like these characters are sad I'm gonna make them happy again and it's gonna happen by them having a conversation (laughs) because if you talk about your feelings your feelings get better yeah true story I have heard that as well Yeah, but I I wrote Chalant because they were adorable and the show abandoned them in the second season and that wasn't okay to me. Okay, for those people who aren't me and you, you might want to have to explain what what Nosy and Chalant are. I I apologize. Sorry, I'm so used to like, we have gotten to the point on Whelmed that like we assume people know what shipping terms are since I've explained them so much. But yes, Young Justice Chalant was the shipping name for Dick Grayson and Zatanna because Young Justice decided to be fancy and we came up with special shipping names for a lot of the ships (laughs) because mashing names together wasn't good enough. (laughs) I wrote about them. I wrote quite a bit about Super Martian because they are my own Hang on, hang on. I I just realized as you were saying that because it's the, the piece of nonchalant. It's Chalant. (laughs) <laughs> yes. oh god that's so dumb <laughs> but it's, it's great because it's because robin's thing is making up fake words based on taking parts out of real words and upon meeting zatanna he was like i'm trying to be nonchalant and she cuts him off to say i don't care be as chalant as you like and it's like omg they are soulmates <laughs> She thinks about words the same way he does. It's cute. <laughs> I just yeah, and and in that moment, you know, young Dick's face is like capital D colon. It's like <gasps> 
Very much so. Very yeah. much so. He meets her at the beginning of that episode and is like, wow, this girl's really cute. And then she says that and he's just like, this girl is perfect. <laughs> there, there will never be anyone cooler than this girl. Yeah, Dick Grayson and Paul Dini just nursing that satanic crush for their whole lives. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. So you're talking about Super Martian. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Going back to that, Super Martian, anyone who listens to Whelmed knows that Super Martian is my Young Justice OTP, Superboy and Miss Martian, who were adorable and I loved them. And then season two was very sad for my 14-year-old heart. I had a lot of complicated emotions (laughs) because they broke up. Anyone who doesn't know and doesn't care about spoilers, they broke up and it hurt my soul. And they specifically broke up over a time skip. Like, how dare you? (laughs) We've talked about it on Whelmed, but the time skip is a formative moment of my teenage years of tuning in one week and just being like, I can't wait to see what happens in the next episode of Young Justice. And they're like, hi, it's five years later. There was no hiatus for you to even come to terms with this being a possibility. One week, all of these characters were teenagers and happy. Now it's five years later. Half the team is gone. The other half is here. Half of them aren't talking to each other anymore and everything's different. And I'm just like, TV can do this? This is a possibility (laughs) now? (laughs) Oh, and by oh. the way, everyone has different hair. <laughs> it's like, ah! <laughs> also, Beast Boy is here. And Calder's evil. Everybody calling me out on my reaction to the pixie cut. But I'm not the only one. <laughs> when Miss Martian showed up and she had short hair, I felt betrayed. <laughs> it's like, what have you done? Things are different now, and I don't know how to cope. Because I was 14, and I didn't know how to cope. But I wrote about Super Martian to try to cope the time skip phenomenon is something where comics do it a lot frankly because there's a lot of room for that in comics especially if you're starting like a new limited series or you know building off of like or a new volume of something and then dc had a big thing like which was called one year later and maybe i'm in the minority i hate time skips i think time (laughs) skips are lazy i think time skips are basically their way of saying look i didn't want to write this and I also don't want to write what's happening now. So I want to instantly create a mystery rather than saying, oh, I want to organically take character from point A to point B. I am instead going to quickly show you character at point C and yeah. then get to spend all my time talking about how character got to point B and then eventually to point C without having to write what they're doing right now. And thing is, that said, I actually really like the Young Justice time skip. <laughs> I have had many years of not having new content and talking about season two to come to terms with the time skip and why it works and why it's important and why they did what they did. But there will always be some small part of me that feels vaguely betrayed. You never gave us a graduation episode. You never gave us a prom episode. You never gave us so many things. And those were the things I cared about on this show. And you took all of that away from me. Not only did you take all of that away, but you also gave us Legan. My hatred of Lagan is well known on the internet. Well, sure. He's a jerk. <laughs> He's not great. Like, because some people, when it comes up on the show, will be like, you only hate Lagan because he got in the way of Super Martian. I'm like, no, I also hate Lagan because he's like a really toxic person. Yeah, he's kind of a garbage person. It's not just the Super Martian thing. A damp garbage person. It's not just the Super Martian thing. I won't deny that that's part of it because... 
It's always been part of it, but it's also the fact that he's really possessive and really dismissive and really immature and just won't listen to anyone and acts out and tries to make other people jealous. I mean, this is somebody whose literal superpower is puffing up so he can be stronger. And if that's not a metaphor for toxic masculinity, I don't know what is. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Like... Little me would have just been like, I don't like him because he got in the way of my ship. But like adult me is able to be like, he's also problematic. Let me explain in an essay. Because <laughs> this is how we deal with our feelings. And, you know, just thinking about it from the fanfic viewpoint, which is kind of your wheelhouse. <laughs> Super Martian in it is, you know, clone Superboy early in his life. And yep. Miss Martian, who is telepathic and has come from another planet and has a secret but it also yes. has assimilated much better than he has. It's like <laughs> yes. built for fanfic. Like, oh my God. Yes. Okay, you have fish out of water. You have a situation where one, you know, more acclimatized fish out of water can teach another. You have telepathic conversations where one yes. can just feel feelings openly. And you have someone who is new to things and so can just directly say what they're thinking because they don't have any subterfuge. Like, this is just built for fan fiction. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, it fills my heart with so much joy. All of their interactions in season one are adorable and precious. And then fan fiction was like, okay, that, but we're just going to do it more. <laughs> and like other things that made it incredible from the show are like they both, because they are aliens with no Earth family, both live in the team lair in the cave, which just means you can write all of the awkward interactions of having to live with someone that you're not dating for half a season, because that's fun. <laughs> Those were always fun. Everybody's just like, they just, ha- they just have to be in the same space. I can just write whatever I want. Nothing in the universe can stop me. Also come to think of it, it gives them lots of space to be alone in this shared space where there's normally yep. lots of people. Because everyone else has homes to go back to and they don't. So it's, again, filling the hours of, oh, you know, everyone's gone home. It's not quite bedtime. What do we do? Late night conversations, movie nights, cuddles, all of the good things, all of the good fan fiction things. Discussions of midnight snacks. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Like, I'm just, I'm just having like waves and waves of flashbacks of like all of the Super Martian I read as like a teenager, as a very young teenager, and being like, it was all so cute. They were so adorable. They both didn't understand Earth and they figured things out together, and my heart. <laughs> but yes, I wrote about them because they were my OTP. I also wrote about Cheshire and Roy, which was fun and interesting because they were such a different dynamic because. Cheshire and Red Arrow, hero villain dynamics, always fun. Especially because he's grumpy, serious, anti-hero. And all she does is flirt. And she is kind of fun, chaotic villain. (laughs) She is is the most chaotic neutral and it's incredible. And she just shows up and flirts and it's so much fun. And you get through just, it's good. I will always defend fan fiction as such good practice for learning how to write and learning how to write well-written dialogue and well-written character dynamics and everything because like because this show had so many different ships and i loved all of the canon ones i could just go in and be like i'm gonna go from writing these two aliens being cute to being like how does one write villain flirting 
Let me figure it out. I'm 14. I don't know anything about this, but I'm going to figure it out for the internet. All of that was so much fun. And I, me and my friends, I had, I had an incredible group of friends who are still my friends now, who we all watched Young Justice together and all loved it and would share fan fiction. And I was the one writer in our little group of three people who would just like come in days with like notebook paper written fan fiction and hand it to them and be like, I have brought you a story. (laughs) (laughs) I have crafted this for you. (laughs) (laughs) They were always so excited and so, so supportive about it. Like we would spend recess as eighth graders who are like, we are not athletic and don't want to play. We are also in Catholic school uniforms. So there's very little physical activity we can do and feel comfortable doing right now. So we would just like sit on the bleachers on our like recess field and just read fan fiction, read like printed out (laughs) fan fiction because none of us had like smartphones. Binders. (laughs) (laughs) And this is just what we did. And it was so much fun. And Young Justice was such a part of like our friendship and our preteen experience, like going back to shipping and going back to Supermersion when Terrors premiered. Terrors Mm -hmm. being the episode where Superboy and Miss Martian got together. And it was the first time that I'd watched a show where two characters got together like before the series finale. Like this was the first Mm -hmm. time this had happened in my life. And it was insane. This was like an event (laughs) for me. And I watched that episode on repeat that entire weekend. It premiered on Friday night. I watched it multiple times a day, both Saturday and Sunday. I'm pretty sure I was a bit obsessed that weekend. And then like came in that day. And one of my two friends who watched Young Justice hadn't seen it. She (gasps) hadn't seen it on Friday. She had missed it Friday night. And like this was before like on demand was really a thing that much. So there was no like super easy way to like find it if you'd missed it. We were 14. We had limited computer time and stuff like that. So we like came in and recess that day was me and my other best friend just telling her everything that happened. Like, you need to know. (laughs) Things went down. Superboy and Miss Martian are together now and we're just going to scream about it. Yeah. And also they had to go undercover and pretend to be someone else and yes. it was like again more fuel for a fan fiction <laughs> yes telepathic flirting telepathic flirting it's so good i mean anything where it's like oh we have to go undercover and pretend to have a relationship in this case be brother and sister but it's like come on this is a moonlighting episode but yep. also really good story stuff yep that episode was so important to me like that remains my favorite episode on a lot of levels and like now I can talk about it in more nuanced terms and be like there's also some really great character development going on and there's some really interesting explorations of like both of their mindsets in this situation and there's some interesting things going with like how they play with their powers and all of this but then there's like the emotional part of me is like also they kiss at the end it's so good guys (laughs) Actually, I have a small digression about that episode, is that it was in explaining or rather kind of no-prizing a concept from that episode where uh, someone asked a question about it on Twitter, and in talking it out, I realized exactly how much planning went into Young Justice, and I was really (laughs) impressed, which is where, okay, and sorry everyone, spoilers for like season one and two Young Justice, but you've had the time by now. But so in this episode, Superboy and Miss Martian have to go undercover at Bell Rev Penitentiary to kind of work out what a plan is going because there's been a but like all the way back to episode one, icicle themed villains. Uh, sorry, ice themed villains, not icicle themed villains. There's only one icicle themed villain and he's a jerk. <laughs> so they have to go undercover as the Terror Twins and wear fake power inhibitors. Uh, on their collars, which will, you know, make them blend in with the others and be part of a prison break and stuff happens and all that stuff. I think it was my friend Cecilia on 
Twitter was saying something to the effect of having individual callers for a supervillain prison is really dumb because you can have a caller short out and the rest of the network is still up and that person is then just free and you don't have any checks on it. And she's like, why don't they just have some kind of like power dampening lamps like they have in powers where the whole area is a no power zone. And I thought about it and I'm like, you're right, that is a, probably a better way of having a prison like that. And then like this great light dawned on me from above as I went, no, they couldn't do that because then McGann would revert to her white Martian form and we're not <laughs> supposed to know about that yet. Yup. Yeah. And so when that, that happened, it's like, yeah, again, it's like it's that Blues Brothers moment where there's that shaft of light and I go, oh, it's all connected. It's been planned from the beginning. <laughs> yes. Everything about that, everything about their early relationship in season one and with the White Martian thing, finding out at the end of season one that he knew the entire time that she was a white Martian and he didn't care. My 14-year-old heart was full of so much love and was like, this is what real love is. Because he's new. He doesn't have preconceived notions. He doesn't care. He just doesn't care. But he supports her and like she cares and he's never going to force her to be anything that she doesn't choose to be. I have a lot of feelings about these aliens, guys. <laughs> oh, listeners, if you're not familiar with Young Justice, but you're familiar with a different show. Remember that bit in Angel where Connor always saw Jasmine as the like horrific, mag-filled monster face? Like that, but good and heartwarming and not <laughs> terrible. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just sorry. I'm like trying to pull myself. I was gonna say I've overwhelmed you with emotions, right? (laughs) I'm like, be an adult, Emily. Be an adult. Don't don't revert. (laughs) Hey, I stand by it. Being an adult is feeling things deeply. I was gonna say I cry a hell of a lot more at movies now as a 36 year old than I did when I was younger. Well, if people want to hear me rant more about Super Martian and why they're adorable, important, I have an entire episode of Whelmed that is part of my Super Sweethearts series where I go into like what the narrative arc of Super Martian is and why it works and what we can learn from it as being writers and also occasionally dip into just being like, also, they're really cute, guys. Like, And it's true. They are cute. We can be both. We can be both. Two things can be true. <laughs> yes. So coming off that, I'm going to do something I don't normally do on this show. Do you have any fanfic recommendations for listeners who want more Young Justice stuff? (laughs) And I realize I've sprung this question on you with zero prep, so it's okay to say no. Uh, Like, no. (laughs) Like, I feel so bad saying no, but I'm like, I'm blanking on anything. And it's also the weird thing of like, I don't want people to know what I read. (laughs) That sounds so dumb. That sounds so dumb. But it's just the, like... It's the awkwardness of feelings on Maine. It's like, I have too many feelings. You guys don't need to know how deep those feelings go. Yeah, because of fandom, I haven't read any Young Justice in years. I haven't read a lot of Young Justice fan fiction mm-hmm. in, in genuinely probably years. Like, every now and then I'll be like, I'm going to go revisit something, and now I can't even think of what any of those are. But it's like, because, you know, Young Justice ended over five years ago like there isn't much new content and i can't remember what i read when i was 14 or where it is anymore yeah no now i feel i feel awful i'm like you've you've come up with a good question and i have nothing (laughs) well that's fine well look if you do come up with something in in the time between now and when this airs feel free to shoot it through but i mean we can also talk about the fact that while it has been five years uh it's coming back it's coming back i'm very excited 
And considering that y'all are the only Young Justice media that I consume apart from the show, I presume it's entirely your fault. (laughs) It's not. It's very much not. Um, (laughs) Like we, I say we, but I'm like, no, I wasn't on, I wasn't part of the show yet. I wasn't part of season one. I gave into the show in season two by accident. Uh, (laughs) But basically, Whelmed had only gotten like two or three episodes in, I think. Caleb and Rich were not very far into like having Whelmed be out in the world when the announcement happened that we were getting a season three. They were excited and I was excited. We didn't even know each other yet at that point when the announcement happened. We were all just very excited. So we didn't have any influence as far as we know on that, but we are still very excited and promoting everything and trying to figure out how in the world we're gonna try covering season two (laughs) season three i mean because we don't know so if i hear you correctly it's entirely your fault (laughs) it is your responsibility by rich starting the show and then you coming on in season two you have in sort of a retroactive way brought young justice back into the world (laughs) cool understood sure sure But yeah, we are all very excited. I am like, because of the time skip in between seasons one and two, I'm always like a little bit nervous because I don't, we know very little about season three beyond like, there will be new characters and things. And I'm just over here in the corner being like, but like, how much are you going to rip my heart out and change things? How much are we changing? And I'm sure it will be fantastic because season two was fantastic after I got over the initial shock of everything's different and I don't know how to cope. Once I got over that and embraced it, it was great. I'm just worried for that initial gut punch of like, oh no, things are different again. (laughs) Now it's going to take how many episodes to work out exactly how different. (laughs) Whose hair is different? What did you do? Who cut their hair again? (laughs) Does Red Arrow have a bald spot now? We have to think about these things. He totally would too. <laughs> and then he would like and then he would shave his head to try and hide it. I st- I still love that we brought this up one time briefly on the show, but Greg Weissman, who is one of the creators of Young Justice for a very long time had a still has, but doesn't answer things on it as much, a website that was Ask Greg and people could submit questions about Young Justice and about gargoyles and about all of his properties and he would answer some of them if they were not spoiler questions and stuff like mm. that. But someone asked, a few people asked, I think, over the during season two, like, what is Red Arrow doing now? Because after a little while on the show, Red Arrow just kind of disappeared for a bit and then came back at the very end to, to help with some season finale hero stuff. But mm. Greg Weissman confirmed that Red Arrow was spending season two taking care of his daughter. And it was the cutest thing that like I'd ever <laughs> I'd ever heard. <laughs> and he's like, people were like, is Red Arrow going to rejoin the Justice League now that he's like back in the hero thing? And Greg Weissman was like, no, he's going to take care of his daughter now that he has a daughter. And I'm like, I'll just go over here and cry because that's adorable. Oh, my gosh. See, now I'm, I'm like I'm sitting here as a parent of an 11 month old and going hey would would you want to go back to superheroing and i would just be like no i have to find a store that's open that sells the right kind of formula i don't have time to save the world basically i'm like cheshire's out there doing something and making some sort of money somehow hopefully not killing people anymore and red arrows just to stay at home dad i'm like i love this image I can see Chester being just like the worst, but also the best mom. Literally, that's like what the show in season two basically tells us. Like Cheshire is the best and also the worst because she's super protective and caring of her daughter, but will then also take her daughter into like an active ninja fight. (laughs) I'm just like, 
I love this. I love everything about this. She is the mom at the PTA that will leave the kid in the car for the meeting. But if you criticize her about it, she will slash your tires. <laughs> yes. See, the Absolutely. fanfic just writes itself. Yes. Oh, you know, Leon is having trouble paying attention in class. That's fine. She's got things on her mind. Who are you to judge her? All the domestic, all the domestic red arrow traffic. <laughs> Uh, and on that note, I think we should start wrapping things up. So, Emily, if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, not your young justice fan fiction, other stuff, where would they go? They can find me on Twitter at Emily of Arden, E-M-I-L-Y of A-R-D-E-N, where I post my stuff and post like when I do various freelance writing or guesting on other shows that all gets shared there. And you can find Whelmed, our show, at crashingthemode.com or at the YJ Files on Twitter. You can generally find us there really easily. And listen to me there where I talk about the show and the comics and superheroes in love a lot. <laughs> and feel free to approach Emily and tell her about how Young Justice Black Canary is the best Black Canary. She's a real good Black Canary. I actually... So I, good. I went as her for Halloween one year when the show was either nice. still on or had just ended. And like, no one knew who I was, but I did. And I felt powerful. <laughs> Even topping Justice League Black Canary, who was pretty damn good. Also a good Black Canary. <laughs> yeah, the episode with the roulette and the underground fight club was on the other day. And the whole bit where it's like, oh, it's a brainwashed Wonder Woman. And what's the plan? Oh, we try not to die. We try really <laughs> hard not to die. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, no, some of my favorite episodes of Justice League Unlimited are her episodes because they're, yeah. they're so much fun. Yeah, just saying, big old call out. Anybody wants to come on and talk about Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, I'll give you all two hours. <laughs> we'll go hard. We will alienate our entire fan base. I don't care. <laughs> Burn it down. Hit something hard. I don't want to limp away from this wreck. <laughs> all right, Emily, so thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this has been great. Thank you for inviting me. very much to Emily Booza for her time. In a first for the math of you, when I asked Emily for signature cocktail ideas, she responded that she wasn't old enough to drink in the U.S., and I felt very old. She was happy to accept a mocktail, though, and said she was a big fan of tea and had specific dietary restrictions for any sort of dairy or tree nuts. I think I could work with that. And so I present the Chalant. In a shaker without ice, combine two ounces of freshly brewed black tea, three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice, half an ounce of grenadine syrup, a quarter ounce of simple syrup, and one egg white. Shake vigorously for about 20 seconds. Then add ice and shake for a further 30. You should see a nice foam start to build. Strain through a sieve into a glass. Add a straw and maybe a whimsical umbrella. While it might not get you plastered, a few sips of this, and it's hello, Megan. Enjoy.
invisible girl, son of steel and daughter of air. He's a hero, a lover, a prince. She's not there. Superboy and the invisible girl, everything a kid ought to be. Math of You is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Or you can pledge as much as you want. You can pledge a whole bunch. That would impress me. Patrons get bonus cocktail recipes, physical mail, and I would just really appreciate it a lot. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can go to Apple Podcasts in the country of your choice and leave a five-star rating. It helps people find the show. Or you can leave a review, and I'll even read it out. Won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. You can go to bit.ly slash themathofyou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, to find a Spotify playlist with every song we've ever used, going all the way back to episode one, including this song. This is Superboy and the Invisible Girl. It's from the soundtrack of the Broadway musical Next to Normal, and it was just a little too perfect to not use. I update the playlist every week, so make sure you subscribe to get that new music in your ears. Now, you might have heard Emily mention earlier that there were no real lead parts for Alto 2s. This bothered me, and so I took to Twitter. I asked a few of my musical theater friends if they knew of any lead roles for Alto 2s. And I'm happy to say I got a flood of responses. I'll link to the thread on the show's Twitter. But thank you very much to Libby Wood, Amelia Grace, and Peter Autobahn Bismarck. Amelia was even bringing up individual note ranges for performances, which I'm sure for someone who's more musical than me would be very helpful. So I've compiled them all into a Spotify playlist. Go to bit.ly slash altolead, A-L-T-O-L-E-A-D-S, all in capitals, to find a list of all kinds of songs, all sung by altos, maybe a few mezzo-sopranos snuck in there, but each to their own. Hope that gives you some inspiration, Emily. Next week... It's the return of Catherine Van Arendonk. And oh boy, we're going to talk about Quantum Leap. Join me, won't you? So how did you approach that from the standpoint that you did? Um, <laughs> sorry, my mind just went blank. Um, can you... This is going to sound so dumb. Can no, you rephrase the question? Because I'm not quite sure what you mean. Just like, how do we approach the show? You repeat the question? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, what I mean, what I meant was, um, I might rephrase it anyway. So, what was my question? <laughs> <laughs> you were like, how do you approach this? Um, I'm like, I don't know. How do we approach this? What do you mean? <laughs> Which part? <laughs> we do a lot. Okay.